to the sector. Philanthropists can help here. Companies can help here by pumping more money, not only into social enterprises, but also the organizations that are supporting their growth, like incubators and accelerators and venture philanthropists. Um, secondly, this sector faces a huge talent shortage. And uh, again, Asia has the means to overcome this by leveraging underutilized senior talent, people who are looking for encore careers after their first retirement. Asia also has the world's largest generation of youth. And again, mm. social entrepreneurship is a great way to help those youth, uh, help, help those young people uh, get employment while contributing to society. So there's a lot that can be done. And uh, philanthropists, companies, as well as governments have a role to play. Mevish, thanks very much indeed for telling us about that. That's Mevish Ahmed, who is Director of Research at the Centre for Asian Philanthropy and Society. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. Not much movement down in Australia. The SX200 is virtually flat. The Nikkei 225 is slipping a bit. It's down about a quarter of a percent. Over in South Korea, the Cosby is moving in the other direction, up about two-thirds of one percent. Doesn't look like the Hang Seng's going to move very much when that opens in an hour's time. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is down at $54.45 a barrel, a big drop over the last 24 hours. And gold is trading right now at $1,577 an ounce. And in the currency markets, the US dollar at 108.7 against the Japanese yen. Do please join me again tomorrow morning for further Money Talk. Uh, back chat's coming up after the news at 8.30 with Hugh Chiverton and Ada Wong this morning. The temperature for today, uh, cloudy with a few rain patches. Maximum temperature of 80 degrees, 18 degrees. And the weather will improve towards the weekend. It's 16 degrees right now, 92% relative humidity. 8.32, here's Todd Harding with the half-hour news. As many as 9,000 public health workers are set to join a strike today as a new union decided to escalate industrial action to try to press for a complete border shutdown to prevent the spread of the Wuhan virus outbreak. The hospital authorities said around 2,700 staff, including 300 doctors and nurses, took part in yesterday's strike, affecting services and forcing a number of surgeries to be postponed. Negotiations between the authority and the Employees' Alliance broke down. The union wanted the authority's chief executive, Tony Coe, to press the government to fully close the borders and promised not to punish medical staff who strike. It says Dr Coe did not respond to their demands. After walking out of the meeting, the alliance's chairwoman, Winnie Yu, insisted the union is not to blame for the stalemate. We all think that this is the responsibility of the Hong Kong government and the hospital authority management level. They have to do something right as soon as possible to act fast to cut the border to prevent the community outbreak of Wuhan pneumonia in Hong Kong but they just do not did their work. The chief executive Carrie Lam has announced the closure of all land border crossings with the mainland apart from Sunjin Bay and the bridge to Macau and Zhuhai. The airport will stay open but no ferries will run between here and the mainland. The government has been under growing pressure to do more to prevent the spread of the Wuhan virus, including calls to close the border completely. Mrs Lam says the latest move will help to ensure that people who do come in are not carrying the virus and will also mean they can redeploy border officials. We are channeling uh, all cross-border traffic into these uh, two cross-border control points. And because of the inconvenience that we have caused to people as a result, so the numbers will come down. 
and I have proven that the numbers have come down. The second uh, marriage is we can, we can then concentrate the people, I mean the staff. The number of confirmed deaths from the Wuhan virus outbreak has jumped to 425 after authorities in Hubei province reported 64 new fatalities this morning. On the final day of hearings in the impeachment trial of President Trump, Democratic prosecutors have urged senators to remove him from office. The BBC's Ben Wright is in Washington. While President Trump will almost certainly be acquitted by the Republican-led Senate on Wednesday, the team of Democratic prosecutors made a final plea for conviction. Adam Schiff said President Trump was a man without character or ethical compass who could not be trusted to do the right thing. The Senate voted on Friday not to hear from any new witnesses, accelerating the end of only the third impeachment trial in US history. Making their final argument, President Trump's defence team again denied his actions amounted to an impeachable offence and urged senators to leave it to their voters to pick the president. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chivert and your co-host today is Andrew Work. Andrew, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Well, more of the main border crossings were closed last night, leaving just the airport, Shenzhen Bay and the Hong Kong Zhuhai Macau Bridge open, with the government saying the move will protect the city from a wider outbreak of the mainland's coronavirus. But Carrie Lam again insisted that the borders can't be sealed completely, as many are demanding, because of a genuine and legitimate need for a lot of Hong Kong people to travel to and from the mainland. That's not good enough, though, for the healthcare strikers who say they're pushing ahead with the second phase of their strike today. Are you sympathetic to their aim of closing the border? What about their means? What are your thoughts on stock markets, on masks, schools and all the other elements affecting us now in Hong Kong? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk or you can give us a call, of course, and our telephone number is 233-88266. Sometimes when we have uh, guests on uh, and you want to uh, ask questions or uh, interact with the uh, guests, uh, we can't get to your emails until they've they've gone because they don't always stay for the uh, for the whole programme uh, and then you, don't, you kind of miss that opportunity. So if you do want to talk to the guests, then your best bet, honestly, is to uh, give us a call. Once again, 233 uh, Eight eight two six six. Just one more note on the uh, on the emails. Uh, we uh, it's, it's quite a right to use um, pseudonyms or uh, uh, false names, or because we, we we don't publicly give out names. We have no problem about that. I would just um, once again ask you not to use multiple names. Please don't send the same kind of message under several names uh, to kind of uh, maximise the impact because I think that's misleading um, to uh, listeners. So please, if you've got if you've got a point to make just just use any name you like um, but just send it once and that would be uh, much appreciated i think that's a more uh, honest and frank way to do it here, here. well uh well, we're going to be covering quite a few kind of aspects uh of uh developments uh today after nine we're going to be talking to uh, an emergency medicine medical consultant as well as a uh, a district councillor about uh, the location of some of the quarantine uh joining us for the first part of the discussion today we have with us uh, dr sarah Ball. 
Wine, who's a Canadian physician, trained at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, who worked in infection control in Beijing, actually, during SARS back in 2003. And we hope to be joined also by uh, Fernando Chung, the uh, unionist and uh, Labour Party lawmaker, to tell us a little bit about, about the strike. Let's just uh, air some of the uh, emails before we get to that. Uh, we've had quite a lot uh, uh, coming in uh, in between programmes. Um, I've kind of got them vaguely thematically. Um, okay, Jill says, maybe you could discuss overpriced face masks. Is there something our government can do about it? The Consumer Council, uh, perhaps. Um, that's uh, an uh, interesting idea from Jill. We'll see if we can uh, get to that as, a, as an angle. Uh, Lisa said, I read somewhere that the virus can exist on clothing for several hours, but that a washing machine will clean it away. And we know that using a disinfecting solution like Dettol can kill the virus. So to ease the problems of not enough masks and the environmental issues of using surgical masks only once, can we wash the masks in disinfectant and then reuse them? Lisa says, I'm wearing an N94 mask, which is pretty thick material. Would be easy to wash it in a disinfectant solution, dry it and wear it again. That way we could all manage with a few masks each and not one per day. That comes uh, from Lisa. Maybe our doctors can help us with that uh, in a moment. And uh, Catherine says, I've just been in an email, I've just been informed by HSBC Travel Insurance, there is no cover for cancellation of trip due to the Philippine government's ban on Hong Kong residents visiting the Philippines. They cite trip cancellation under travel insurance policy needs to be triggered by specific events like natural disasters or strike. Since Wuhan corona outbreak is an epidemic and not among the specified events, well, we regret that the trip cancellation or loss of deposit cannot provide cover. Uh, Catherine says, would you consider to cover the topic of travel insurance not being valid for claims due to coronavirus? This means travellers from Hong Kong incurring not insubstantial costs in this instance. Mm. Also, the Philippine helpers under current contract who are making a trip home are now stuck in their country. Cebu Pacific state on their websites, no flights to Hong Kong until at least 29th of February. And Cathay have no dates. That's right, Catherine. There's, there is a, a ban on air travel now between the Philippines and uh, and uh, Hong Kong. As for the insurance, if anyone else is uh, uh, affected by that, let us know, and uh, maybe we can we can approach people uh, on that particular uh, issue. Uh, one more comment before we get to the guests. Bowen says the uh, death rate of coronavirus is low compared to that of SARS at present, but it's a lot more contagious. So who knows? The total number of deaths may turn out to be similar to that of SARS in 2003, which numbered some 300. Some have suggested that this is not a really deadly disease, but it can mutate, and the number of people infected will be huge if careful action is not taken. Better to err on the side of caution here. That comes from Bowen. Some other emails as well, which we'll get to uh, in due course. Let's go to um, our studio now. Dr Sarah Borwine is there, the Canadian physician. Good morning to you, Dr Borwine. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining joining us today. Um, so let's start off with that, with, with that SARS comparison. Um, you were working in infection control in, in Beijing during SARS. What, what, what are your overall thoughts on, on comparing what happened in 2003 and what's happening today? Well, there are some similarities and some, some important differences. And uh, so the similarities are that we're dealing with an unknown disease. We don't know how it's going to evolve, evolve and we still lack a lot of information about how the virus is transmitted and how lethal it is and how infectious it is. That was true in 2003 as well. Uh, one of the big differences is that the speed of gaining knowledge is much greater now. So whereas it took 
months, I think, weeks to months to identify the virus in 2003. This time it was very quick. The Chinese shared the genome of the virus very quickly. We have a test. We can identify it quickly. So there are things that are different about this outbreak. But I think one of the things that is true in all outbreaks and is definitely true here is that there's kind of two aspects to it. There's the spread of the disease and there's the spread of panic about the disease. And probably, arguably, the panic spreads more quickly and may be more dangerous. Mm. And, and how does that what, what are the danger points in that panic? Like, I mean, how, how do you see it manifesting itself in Hong Kong? Well, I think people start to behave irrationally when they're panicked. And, and what we see in Hong Kong is kind of two groups of people. There's the people who are very complacent, don't think this is a very big risk, aren't really worried about it. And then there's the others who are very, very anxious, afraid to go anywhere, do anything, and who, um, you know, who are panicked because they can't get a mask or because the schools are closed or because some other – every headline causes them to, to panic. And uh, where are we on that spectrum right now as a, as a society? Yeah, are, we, are, we, are we overreacting in Hong Kong? I mean, it seems... I, I don't think we're overreacting. I think the confusion is that, look, this is a very important public health emergency. And on a global level, for a, on a public health level, you, we're not overreacting. It's really important. But on an individual level, we're not at an emergency level. Most people in Hong Kong are not at high risk from this disease right now. So the level of personal risk is very low still. Yeah, because, I mean, we're, our numbers, I mean, our numbers are nowhere near what they were for SARS or even the regular flu that we have every year. Exactly. And actually, you know, since the flu season started in Hong Kong in the second week of January, officially 65 people have died here from the flu, whereas no one has died from coronavirus. But the, the flu is a familiar risk. and People are always more afraid of risks that are unknown and uncertain. So even though no one has died here of coronavirus and even though it's looking like Overall, the death rate from this virus is probably reasonably low. It's still very scary because of the, all the unknowns. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the comparison with flu is, is, is often made, and you see that uh, you see that repeated in Hong Kong, but you see that being made in uh, America quite a lot as well. Yes. Um, uh, people are saying, "Well, look, you get um, thousands of deaths uh, from flu." Uh, as a matter of course, um, in, in, in the U.S. Um, why are we making all this fuss about, about this one? Uh, they have a point? Is that right? They have a point because it's true people underestimate the flu. Uh, every year we think even in regular seasonal flu, more than half a million people worldwide die of the flu. So it's a seriously underestimated disease. Um, at the same time, this is a new disease. And if we allow it to go unchecked, even if it has a low death rate, even if most people are at low risk of dying from it, it's going to overwhelm healthcare sectors and cause huge problems socially and economically. So, again, it's a huge public health risk, but not so huge a personal risk. But is it really a public health risk, or is, it, or is the risk from the panic and people demanding treatment and so on and all the isolation measures and everything because as you say half a million people die of the flu 
if half a million people died of this, you know, it would be considered a end of the world kind of situation. Yes, and that if we did nothing to control it, that might happen. The death rate of 2% is more than of from the influenza virus. However, you're right on, it's right both ways in that we're overreacting, but we're also underreacting in a way. Um, I asked this the other day of uh, Dr. Sabedal last week, but they weren't quite clear on it. When you have so many people taking so many preventative measures, do incidences of other diseases, other contagious diseases like the flu, do they drop when people are taking these extraordinary measures? Sometimes. I think it's too early to tell in this case whether we'll mm. see a lower rate of influenza, but it would make sense that all the social distancing and precautions that people are taking may lower the risk. I think during SARS there was some ev evidence mm. of I, that. I, I seem to remember that definitely mm. in Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah. the f flu numbers went down. Yeah. Mm. Okay. okay, well, uh, if you've got a question, uh, as I say, best thing, uh, Dr. Borman will be staying with us until, until 8.30, uh, sorry, until 9.30 um, this morning. Uh, give us a call, 233-88266. Uh, also joining us now is uh, Fernando Chung, a Labour Party lawmaker. Mr. Chung, good morning to you. Hello? No? No? No, we haven't got that. We haven't got uh, Fernando Chang. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that later. Okay, back, back to... Here we have got him? Yeah, we have got him. We're, get, we're getting thumbs up. Sorry, <laughs> we're getting conflicting... We've got a caller, Matthew, on the line. Signs here. Yeah? Okay, we've got a caller, Matthew, on the line. Matthew, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, hi, morning, you. I just want to uh, expand on my experience going through the airport yesterday, which I wrote briefly about uh, to Regina but didn't get much of, much of a response on, and see if the experts have any view. So basically the experience for me coming through the airport come on a flight back from Australia yesterday was exactly the same as you know any other time. Uh, the uh, temperature checks were being taken uh, just before immigration, the ones that are always there, but there were... No additional checks, uh, no forms to be filled out. Matthew, um, Matthew, were you coming back from Australia? Or? Yeah, coming from Australia. Okay, yeah, but, carry on. Uh, just no, you know, on the flight mm. were people from, you know, all over the place and people who, you know, to my eye, you know, appeared to be on their way, you know, back to, to China uh, and quite a lot of them. Um, but I myself could easily have, you know, been to Wuhan, um, you know, in the last 14 days in Australia and then back to Hong Kong. Um, and, of course, all the Hong Kong residents and permanent residents go through the automatic uh, gate without interacting with anyone, and there was no one that I could see standing there stopping and talking to people who matched certain profiles. So I'm just really curious about uh, how uh, and if there are supposed to be any additional checks in place at that you know, big border point um, at, the airport, at this yeah. time. Yeah, because I remember in the past, you know, having to fill out forms. I'm not sure how useful the forms are that you fill out and how useful the temperature checks are, but I was just kind of stunned. Uh, my wife, who you know, is Hong Kong Chinese, came through the day before on the same flight from the same place uh, and had exactly the same experience, and I've heard from others also that they haven't noticed anything going on. So I don't know if any of the experts know or any other listeners can, can share uh, what they know. That, that's what I wanted to share. All right. Thank okay, you Okay, thank you very much indeed for, for that. Uh, give us a call if you want to comment, 233-88266. Dr. Borwine, do you, have, do you happen to know what the measures are now at the airport? Has that changed? Actually, I don't know. Mm. I would have thought they would be doing some form of screening um, of 
you know, by questionnaire as well as by temperature. So I'm, I'm actually not sure. I did come in myself on Saturday night uh, from Canada, and um, there were the temperature screeners, but it's true there was very little else. How, how effective do you think that is? People talk about, you know, security checks in the United States as being, uh, you know, uh, security theater. Is this, is this uh, medical security theater at the airport, or do you think it's actually effective? Um, it, it's <clears throat> probably more um, n- not as effective as people would hope, put it that way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's pretty fair. We, we had an email uh, earlier on uh, before, we got, before we got you going here about masks and reusing masks. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, DA, the head of the DAB, uh, uh, the DAB that's the chairman of one of the health committee, I think it is within LegCo, was, was kind of ridiculed last week for claiming that you could steam surgical masks. Yes. I'm, I'm calling her Dr. Steamy now. That's my new nickname for her. <laughs> um, uh, but somebody was asking about washing uh, masks and reusing them. Is that ever a good idea or... No, they are not designed to be reused, and it destroys the, the fabric of the mask, and the, if they're an N95, it destroys the viral filter. So no, they, they can't be washed and reused. So even if they, they look like they're durable, they're not? No. No. Okay, no. good. We've got, a, we've got a clear answer on that one for the listeners. Uh, in theory, that, I mean, you should be able to do that, shouldn't you? I mean, they should be able to invent a mask which you could wash. Mm-hmm. In theory, <laughs> you know, because mass- because the world is going to be because you know people have, uh, as common experience, people have tried to order masks uh, here or even get friends or relatives overseas to order them, and it seems like everywhere you just can't get hold of masks. That that's true. I tried to buy some in Vancouver, and they yeah. were sold out there. Yeah. Mm. So it- I mean, you know, the whole world is going to need masks, and the whole world you can't have six billion masks a day produced or whatever. So you would think that a solution would be a reusable form. Definitely a business opportunity there. Mm. So uh, somebody, somebody at your level of expertise, where do you go for information? Because what, you know, what I've been telling everybody is if you get it from WhatsApp, it's bull. You know? yeah. it, it's, you know, don't believe what you get from WhatsApp because it seems like every two days there's a new spasm of you know, people running around saying, oh, my God, we got to clean our, our drains now because now there's like coronavirus in the poop. That was the one that came out yeah. yesterday. Yes, I yes. mean, it seems like every couple of days there's a new spasm of like some, some information that comes out and people go crazy about this new thing for a couple of days. Where do you go for legit information? Okay, well, certainly I look at the WHO every day, but they, uh, you know, bearing in mind that they have a particular agenda and angle on it, still their information is very accurate. Mm. Um, and also the, um, the various public health organizations, the UK Public Health, the uh, Centers for Disease Control, there, there's also for lay people, some newspapers have really good health reporting, like the New York Times, uh, the Boston Globe and the Washington Post are known for their, you know, their thorough and good health reporting. So if you, if you want a sort of non-organizational um, look at it or a more editorial look at it, those are good sources. Okay, two, two that I've seen going around uh, that people seem to give a lot of credence to, and I'm not too sure why these are, the NHS out of Britain and the Vancouver Coastal uh, Health System. There's been a lot of uh, people, people in you know, putting those around. Do either of those have any credence with you? Well, they're, they're both good services, although I have to say um, I, I looked at the Vancouver Coastal Health uh, advice a few days ago. Perhaps it's been updated, but it, mm. it seemed to me to be a little bit behind the times. Okay. okay. Some, uh, okay, some specific comments. Uh, first of all, uh, Mike says, listen to Bowen. He was correct. Coronavirus, according to CDC, so that this virus is more contagious than SARS. Uh, but less severe. 
uh, and uh, Andrew F. says, could you please ask your expert in terms of fatality rate? Am I right in thinking regular flu is around 0.01% of population infected, whereas novel coronavirus is running around 2.3% as far as we know right now? So two to 300 times higher mortality rate. Is that correct? Obviously much lower than uh, H5N1 or MERS, but still comparatively high compared to flu. I think it's true that as far as we know so far, the mortality rate is higher for coronavirus than for flu. But we don't understand the spectrum of disease yet, and so the numbers are still not accurate. So one of the issues has been that the Chinese definition, case definition, only, at least initially, only included people who had pneumonia. And so it really only was including quite severe cases, and we don't know how many people actually get a milder form of the disease that's more like a cold. So it's looking like perhaps there's many of those, and if there are many of those, we will see the mortality rate continue to fall. We've seen it fall over the course of this epidemic. And in fact, that almost always happens in an epidemic because initially you only find the severe cases. It's not sort of willful underreporting by China. It's just the nature of the beast and the difficulty of getting accurate data. Think about what's happening in Wuhan. They're overrun with cases. You can't start going and looking for all the people who are home with a cold mm. and testing them. So they don't know how 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 wide a spectrum of disease this is. If it's a very wide spectrum and highly contagious, it's also probably less lethal. But we don't know for sure yet. Okay, um, a couple of questions, yeah, on, on, on uh, mortality rates. If you look on Wikipedia, uh, you look at, for example, the mortality rate for SARS uh, in Hong Kong is about like 17% or something. It's very, very high. And it's like double what it was in China. And, of course, we have 300 deaths here in, uh, mm -hmm. of SARS in, in 2003. Um, uh, you know, an extraordinarily large figure, given our population and so on. Um, why is that discrepancy? Um, and then you look at SARS worldwide and the mortality rate was, I can't remember, something like 3% or something like this. Why was it so much higher here and so much so different to even to what it was in China? What's going on there? Is that, again, a question of kind of reporting or, or what? Uh, I think the official mortality rate here was a little under 10%, but it was much lower in China. And I can only speculate, but what I understand, because I was actually in Beijing during that outbreak, is that the virus got out into a kind of different population. For instance, it spread through some university dorms in Beijing. So it was in a younger, healthier population that perhaps was better able to deal with mm. the virus. Mm. So it may be related to things like that. Uh, and what about the issue of, uh, you mentioned the spread through, through feces, because there was a lot of concern yeah. about kind of environmental hygiene and what have you in, with, with SARS. Yep. Do we know about, is there, is there that same kind of threat with this coronavirus? Again, early days, but uh, there is some evidence of fecal spread, meaning it can be spread in you know, in stool. And I think the concern in Hong Kong, it is true, actually, that the Department of Health has recommended that people regularly clean out their U-traps, etc. And that's mm. because of what happened at Amoy Gardens mm -hmm. in 2003, when it did seem to spread through the water supply, the, the drainage system there. We don't know that that could happen with coronavirus, he, uh, the novel coronavirus. It's, it's out of an abundance of caution that that advice has come out. All right. Okay. Uh, Peter, uh, in an email, says, 
what about using UVC light lamps to sterilise masks? I understand it during the production production process, the, the masks are also sterilised using UVC light. Uh, is that feasible, Dr. Bullwine? Actually, I have no idea. UVC <laughs> I light. I, I'm guessing a lot of people don't have those at home. No. <laughs> That's my guess. Look, the whole issue with masks is something that disturb, de- deserves mm. some discussion mm. because they are not the kind of cure-all preventive measure that many people think they are. Mm. For, for, masks are most useful for sick people to prevent them spreading their droplets of virus around and for healthcare workers who are closely exposed to many sick people. But for the general population, sometimes they actually, they should be worn when appropriate. They have a role, but they can also make things worse because they're uncomfortable and the outside of the mask gets contaminated pretty quickly and then people are fiddling with them because they're uncomfortable and adjusting them and rubbing their eyes and taking them off to eat and then putting them back on. And so they can actually end up contaminating themselves from the mask. So you have to be very careful how you use them. When, when are they useful? When you're in a crowd? When, when you're, you're sick? In- yeah. yeah, when you're sick is the main one. Mm-hmm. When you're sick to protect other people. And I think when you're in a crowded situation, they probably provide some pr- some protection. But when I see people walking around on like hiking trails wearing a mask, there's no reason for that. Mm. Yeah, I see people driving their cars. They're the yeah. only person in the car and they're yeah. wearing a mask. Yeah. So if you're the only guy in the MTR that's not wearing a mask, you're not like a crazy anti-vaxxer that's bringing back the next measles epidemic. You're, you know... No, the bounds. MTR is a crowded place, and it probably is a good idea to wear a mask there. Okay. Oh, okay, I know you're sticking with us, and we're going to break in a moment for the news at 9 o'clock. But here's the million-dollar question, Dr. Borwine. Should we close the border? Hello? That is a loaded question. Yes. You've got 30 seconds. <laughs> um, in, in a word, I, I usually would not be in a, in a favour of that, but in this case, I think, I, I think uh, that you can't close it completely, but to the degree that it can be done, I think it's a good idea. Perhaps we can talk at further length about that when there's a little more time. Yeah, okay. After the yeah. break. Yeah. After, after the break. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, drop us a line, bankchat.rthk.hk, if you've got a question uh, or a comment, something uh, you want to air, um, uh, or give us a call, 233 Six. Uh, as I said, we're going to break for the news at nine now. The weather first, cloudy today with a few rain patches and temperatures up to about 18 degrees. That look windy with uh, light rain in the next couple of days and then the weather will improve towards the weekend. The readings now 16 Celsius and the relative humidity is up at 91%. Back in three minutes' time. <laughs> This is Backchat on a Tuesday morning with Andrew Work and me, Hugh Chiverton, continuing to talk about uh, aspects and developments with the uh, novel coronavirus. Uh, in Hong Kong, in the mainland and uh, around the world, we have in our central studio now a Dr. Sarah Borwine, who's a Canadian physician who trained at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, also worked in infection control uh, in Beijing during SARS back in 2003. And we're also joined now by uh, a doctor based in uh, Australia, Dr. Tom Lee, who's an emergency medical consultant uh, in Perth, uh, and also uh, Steve Chung, who's the district councillor in Meifu. Uh, if you want to talk to any of them, if you've got questions, give us a call, 233 
or send us an email, backchat at rthk.hk, or you can write on our Facebook page as well. That's backchat on RTHK Radio 3. I haven't looked at that. I'll look at that uh, in a moment. First of all, uh, some of the emails that we got in between yesterday and uh, today's programme. Uh, here's a, a group with a, with a similar theme uh, talking about the possibility of a strike today. Well, the certainty of a strike, in fact, by uh, uh, medical workers. Uh, Ching says, uh, if the coronavirus had started in Hong Kong, mainland Chinese doctors and nurses would never have taken any strike action if the central government did not close its borders with Hong Kong. There is only one China and we are all Chinese. And yet a number of Hong Kong medical workers strike to avoid having to carry out their duty in a show of overt, grotesque bigotry against people from mainland China. By contrast, their counterparts in mainland China are working hard around the clock to, stave, to save lives. The Hong Kong government should channel Reagan Thatcher and striking medical workers should get canned, Reagan Thatcher style. That comes from Ching. DY says, I note that Carol Ng, chairman of the Hong Kong Confederation of Trade Unions, said yesterday that if strike participants lost their jobs, her unions might set up a fund and workers could apply for financial aid for financial hardship or cover legal fees. People are getting tired of Ms Ng's boring claim that there will be a massive strike of all sectors. There's no need for it. You and your experts in ruining Hong Kong have already led Hong Kong workers on a path of senseless misery. One says the vice chair of the newly formed uh, Hong, uh, Hospital Authority Employees Alliance, Ivan Chan, is also former vice chairman of the Hong Kong Post-Secondary Students Union Representative Committee, who was arrested three times within six months in 2014. The other key leaders of the alliance who fronted the press conference are familiar faces that emerged from the 2019 protests. A flight attendant who was fired by Cathay and a CTU chairperson. So they use the same tactic of hijacking a particular industry or profession. The same people. That's why it's hard for them to claim that two million people support their cause. Uh, Kim says, Hong Kong protesters are putting on another freak show. We go from setting people on fire to the histrionics of medical workers. Oh, cry me a river of shame. I'm not sure I wish to be treated by you lot given your lack of empathy and professional you're using the lives of the sick for your filthy self-political gains. Can't wait for Hong Kong people to enjoy imported overseas medical workers. And Doreen says, I see the leaders of the Hospital Authority Employees Alliance include a flight attendant who was fired by Cathay Pacific and a former leader of the British Airways Flight Attendant Union. No offence to flight attendants, but can someone... Please tell me why these people are knowledgeable in matter of health services and disease containment. I also see some people here praise the way Singapore has closed its borders to travellers from China. They say the Hong Kong government should be decisive like that. I agree the Hong Kong government should take decisive action and take a leaf from the playbook of Lee Kuan Yew. Close the borders if things in China get worse. Fire all the hospital authority staff, the striking hospital authority staff. Then force through reforms of the medical sector to make it easier for foreign health professionals to work in Hong Kong. That comes uh, from Doreen. Uh, once again, if you want to comment, backchat at rthk.hk is our email address. And we've got, we have got another batch of uh, emails which we'll get to in due course. Maybe mm. let's go now to uh, Dr Lee, uh, as I say, an emergency medical consultant uh, based in Perth. Dr Lee, good morning to you. Hi, thanks very much indeed for mm. joining us. You're, you're a little bit distant. Can you, can you come right up to the receiver? Can we hear you? I'm trying my best. Is it any better than you? Uh, it's not bad. Okay, maybe if we, maybe if we, uh, we take down the other speakers, yeah, and just 
boost you. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. What, what's the view from there? I know you follow events in, in, in Hong Kong. Um, uh, yeah. What, what's, your, what's your take uh, uh, from your distance uh, present in, in Perth from, from what's happening in Hong Kong? How do you think the, the health authorities are, are coping? Yeah, and well, first, first of all, I have to uh, make an important disclaimer before I open my big button now. Well, my, my views and opinions, you know, is not um, uh, reflect the official policy position of any um, agency, university, or colleges, or organisation I'm affiliated with. Okay. So now I can speak. It's okay. okay. So basically, you know, what what we seeing uh, is very interesting. All the information and data are evolving. And uh, I think you've already have uh, infectious disease experts uh, talking about the situation this morning. I missed most of it, by the way, so I do apologise because I was taking my child to uh, to uh, kindy. But uh, the, the, the key issue is there are a lot of fear and uh, perception is reality. So one has to address that. And uh, the, the concerns... Uh, of the frontline health workers are valid. And I'm a frontline health worker, so, you know, even as far as in Australia, we do take very serious precautions now, you know, with regards to what is going on. And uh, certainly, you know, the information that we've been given initially is very, very different from, you know, what we are uh, facing now. Different in what way? Well, basically, you know, you, you, know, you guys... You know, have it on records. You know, been told initially that uh, the person-to-person spread likelihood is low uh, from the, uh, uh, the Chinese information, and uh, and now it's very clear to us: person-to-person is extremely high and an extremely contagious disease. And um, in terms of the mortality and morbidity figure, I think Sarah already highlighted that. It's actually extremely difficult to pinpoint at this stage. It's, you know, epidemiology and the fly is extremely, extremely hard. What we can only say is what the patient's been admitted, uh, having had record, you know, taken and having had the diagnosis made properly. And uh, who knows? All those figures only come after the dust been settled. But having said that, though, you know, one has to, you know, congratulate. You know, the, the, the fantastic work done by various groups, you know, particularly Professor Yoon in Hong Kong and uh, Professor Gabriel and his co-workers, you know, and the information they published in the published in Lancet, it's very, very helpful to see what the problems are. And often when people ask me, I just simply refer them to, to these two people, have a listen to their their, their, their information, you know, and, uh, and, and uh, also the data they produce uh, on those papers, for, certainly for medical professionals. Okay, um, uh, you know, one of those local measures that's been talked about here is setting up a uh, quarantine area in, in Meifu, and I think we've got Steve Chung, District Councilor from Meifu, on the line. Steve, what exactly are they proposing to do in Meifu that's got everybody so riled up? Yeah. Mr. Chung, uh, go. Yesterday, on Saturday, and, uh, Dr. Choi called our District, district Council Chairperson, Mr. Yuan Yu, and even Dr. Choi uh, didn't mention uh, much about what will be inside the quarantine camp, about how they, uh, what they will do to prevent people from escaping from the camp, or what quarantine measure will they uh, carry out inside. So that's what makes our residents so worried. 
but what is what is it what is it exactly are they taking over a building or is it you know something set apart from the urban area like where i don't understand where it is in meifu um it is actually a hotel which uh, consists of 80 hotel rooms and they are using like 50 of them uh, for this quarantine purpose and heritage lodge is actually just 300 meters away from Meifu Sanchin, which is actually the largest residential area in the world, uh, 99 blocks and 60,000 uh, residents. So uh, we did try to walk from that heritage lodge to Meifu Sanchin, and it only takes like eight minutes. So mm. we, why we are protesting is it is so close to residential area, and we have never seen that a quarantine camp will be set up in an urban area while the government has uh, actually has a lot of other options in setting it in uh, rural areas. Yeah, uh, l l yeah let's just uh, clear this. Uh, 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 correct me if I'm wrong. This, so this is a heritage hotel, which is at the moment in, in the middle of a compound. Uh, is that right? So there is, there is, yeah. there is space around this, uh, this old building before you get to yeah. the before you get to the uh, the densely populated Meifu Sanchun. Is that right? Yeah. It's got yeah. a wall around it. I, I mean, doc, doc, Dr. Borwine, does that, uh, you have any thoughts on that? I mean, if there's a 300 meter gap, does that oh. mean, does that mean it's safe or, or what? What would your, what would your thoughts on that be, Dr. Borwine? As far as the knowledge we um, have. Of course. Uh, yeah. hang, uh, hang, on, hang on, hang on, Mr. Chung. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Just the doctor was just going to answer. Yeah. Yeah. As far as the knowledge right. we have so far, that actually would be safe. I do understand the concern of the residents, and again, it has to do with fear. And actually, the another issue which is going on, which is sort of lack of public trust. Uh, but I believe the Department of Health has is um, proposing a system of smart bracelets, where by people who are quarantined will actually be able to be tracked to make sure that they adhere to the quarantine. Mm-hmm. So there'll be, yeah, like an electronic, uh, what do they call them, electronic handcuffs? It's like, yeah, it's, like, it's a bracelet, I think, that alerts them if they, leave the, if they leave the area of quarantine. Yeah, like the ankle one they've got on uh, the CFO from Huawei in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Mr. Chung, I mean, are you reassured? I mean, have, have you actually got any medical advice from doctors or whatever who say this is dangerous, this, uh, what, what's being proposed is a danger to people in Meifu Sanchun? Um, we haven't got any information from the department, from the Department of Health, or even from the the FEHD. No, no one has has ever told us about this uh, before. We are being notified by Dr. Choi, and uh, I also want to take point is um, actually Heritage Lodge is so close to uh, Princess Margaret's Hospital, where uh, all coronavirus patients were sent to. So I don't see why Heritage Lodge should be used for uh, those medical staff as uh, a temporary home for them to quarantine themselves from their home. Oh, so it's and not not just for patients, it's for the medical staff? Sorry? It's not just for patients, it's for medical staff to stay as well? I think it is. it should only be used for medical staff. Well, all medical staff have been calling for more protection for them uh, from working. And the government, up until now, they haven't... They, they even have, uh, haven't found any places for them to, to take better measures from keeping them from, away from their home. And a lot of medical staff are very worried about uh, going back home every day because they, they don't know what virus will they take back home. So why don't the government use heritage notion as 
a temporary residence home for these medical staff as this is so close to Princess Margaret Hospital. And I think most of the records will accept this. Oh, so I see. So you're you're saying that they should use it for the medical staff rather than for uh, at pa- possible patients. Exactly. Okay. Uh, if you had a doctor, uh, uh, an expert who told you that it was safe, that if you have this these people who are 300 meters away from uh, a, a built-up area, that's okay. There's no risk. Would you would you believe that? And then would you be reassured? Um, I think I would agree that uh, it is a matter of lack of trust. And also, uh, actually, every morning, a lot of our residents would go up onto Heritage Road on nearby area for, for morning exercises. So how can the government ensure that, um, for example, the, the, the patients will not, will, will, uh, the, the patients will not uh, escape from the camp or what measures will it take? Who will guard the site? No one has ever thought about it. Is that police would will stand by there or, or, or security guard, whatever. So that's the problem of lack of trust. The government is never trusting the district councillors or the local residents. And this is also the matter of the Carrie Lamb has learned from the lesson of Fan Ning and also even from the lesson of the anti-expedition law that she is not even respecting every opinion from the local residency. So that's why we are so angry about this policy. I mean, and some of the residents have been have been violent, haven't they? Uh, yeah, yeah. Even our district council, our, our colleagues, Miss um, Janet was arrested. And it is so, it is so brutal because our residents were just protesting in their home, in a, in a private area. They were just chanting. And I don't see any point that we have to have um, like 100 or 200 uh, police rushing onto our podium and arresting our residents. It's just nonsense. Mm-hmm. Okay, some some more uh, thoughts from uh, listeners on, on on different topics. Once again, our address backchat at rthk.hk. Mark says uh, it would be interesting to know how many cases and deaths of the coronavirus have been reported in our neighbourhood of Shenzhen to require all crossings with Hong Kong to be completely closed. Jr. says I'll have to edit this. Jr. says the Hong Kong government has always said they are stingy with the money they accumulate and cite it's for a rainy day. What's their definition of a rainy day? Does the current situation warrant that definition? And this rainy day they talk about it feels like they mean the funds are for them, the government, and not for use and benefit of the Hong Kong people. The money came from Hong Kong people in the first place, so why not spend it on the Hong Kong people? Mr Tang says, with the possibility of a community outbreak of the coronavirus looming, all citizens are on high alert. Restaurants have seen a significant drop in the number of customers, and streets are almost deserted. The only crowded places are supermarkets and pharmacies where people are scrambling to stock up on food, hand sanitizers, and face masks, though it's next to impossible to even get one box of masks. The fear among citizens is understandable, as nobody wants to relive the nightmarish moments of the SARS saga. Yet we should remain calm. Queuing in the bitter cold for hours for masks and getting into crowded, confined shops might actually put one at greater risk of infection. The best thing to do is to 
avoid getting out unless absolutely necessary. Meanwhile, we should all maintain hand hygiene, wear a mask properly when going out, kick open doors instead of touching the handles, and make sure the U-shaped water trap at home is filled with enough water. As some experts have pointed out, the possibility of transmission of the virus through one's stool. School closures mean that teachers can assign homework to students via online platforms and they can get creative when delivering content. Perhaps teachers should listen to Backchat to get some more inspiration. Well done, Mr Tang. Fine idea. Uh, Maxine says, uh, if we close the border, what will happen to all the people in Hong Kong who need to work in the mainland? Uh, if these people are forced to stay in China and need to spend uh, on hotels, should they ask the hospital authority... <coughs> Employees Alliance to pay. Uh, that comes uh, from uh, Maxine. Uh, and uh, Bowen, uh, on a similar scene theme, says uh, two strands of argument in what the CE said yesterday in the press conference contradict each other. She pointed to the huge legitimate demand for cross-border traffic due to work and the need to take care of the young and so on. Then she said that her strategy was to concentrate the traffic through two control points, excluding the airport, and in so doing, make it very inconvenient so less people will cross the border. The first point is that against the backdrop of an epidemic, what normally amounts to a legitimate need simply has to give way. The CE herself said mainland mothers can be allowed to stay in Hong Kong for an extended period so as to avoid the need to cross the border. Similarly, if a certain type of work is so important that it's just done without delay, the worker will just have to stay on that side of the border to perform the task without travelling back and forth. Put another way, the work may be legitimate, but crossing the border is not under the circumstances. The second point is even simpler. If the demand for cross-border travel in a certain situation is really so overwhelming and necessary, will the need to make a detour put people off? Is there any reason to believe that the present reduced number of cross-border travellers can be further compressed by the need to make a detour? There's some merit in the CE's point that reducing the two control points to two, excluding the airport, will increase the staff available at those points so they can do a better screening job. But let's remember that Five million people had left Wuhan before the lockdown and a very major portion of those people had come to Shenzhen and Guangzhou. The number of infected people must also have substantially increased since then given the contagiousness of the disease. Uh, given also that a certain percentage of the infected will not have a temperature or show any symptoms, how capable will the staff at the control points be in tracking down the infected given the sheer numbers? Those points from Bowen. Peter T says, Regina Yip says, under the basic law, no Hong Kong can be prohibited from entering and leaving Hong Kong at will, presumably daily or more frequently if he or she wishes. Indeed, statistics suggest locals, not mainlanders, currently dominate movement across the border. No local person has the inalienable right to condemn his fellows to the stronger, strong likelihood of a painful death by their subsequent exposure to a fatally infectious agent through the local person's own crassly careless behaviour. This crucial healthcare matter needs to be sorted too sweet by Carrie. Nothing is more important, not even the adequate supply of masks. After all, once we are dead, masks are useless, says Peter T. Thomas says, uh, Regina mentioned that uh, 2003 during SARS, the medical workers showed great spirit, but now she's disappointed because they wanted to go on strike. Regina Yip has been in government and advising government for more than 10 years. She was instrumental in government policies. Unless she lives in cloud cuckoo land, she must ask herself why Hong Kong people of various sections of the community are demonstrating for years against government policies. The unrepresentative and often non-respondent government has angered large parts of the population. Uh, as for Regina Yip, it's high time to repent and not look for faults elsewhere. If the government is not happy with the people, uh, would it not be simple uh, uh, Simple, the government discontinues with the people and elect themselves others? That comes from uh, Tomas. 
Lisa, uh, no, we've read that. Okay, some some thoughts. A couple of comments on on the issue of uh, using ultraviolet light. John says uh, no UVC will sterilise disposable masks. Uh, UV light can destroy bacteria on a surface directly exposed to light. Therefore, internal surfaces uh, surfaces will not be uh, impacted. Uh, Andrew uh, F., uh, responding to you, Dr. Borwine, says, very thorough and helpful answer to my question. Thanks so much for that. Great to have someone on the programme who knows what they're talking about. Actually, knowing stuff before you sound off on it seems a highly underrated quality these days. Speaking of which, I look forward to Fernando Chung explaining how he apparently knows what the WHO doesn't re-complete border closure. Uh, Peter says, uh, ultraviolet germicidal irradiation is widely used for sterilisation of surfaces, water and air and highly effective against viruses and bacteria. Uh, UVC sterilisers are widely sold on Amazon and Taobao in many shapes and sizes. It might be worth looking into this for personal use to quickly sterilise masks, rooms uh, or other personal items. That's uh, observation um, from Peter. Uh, Drake says, despite the appeals from Dr Yun Kwok Yun, the chairman of the expert committee on antimicrobial resistance of the Centre for Health Protection of the government and uh, Hopak Lung to close the border days ago. The chief executive is only keen on twisting others' words, saying closures would block passage of goods and Hong Kongers to return to Hong Kong and thought she's outsmart the public with that answer. What kind of governance is this? She's arguing like a kindergarten kid. The strike is inevitable to put pressure on the government to do what experts have advised long ago. Unfortunately, the strike had achieved little so far. As of immigration to figures, around 6,000 mainlanders entered the three borders which remain open today. And today we saw the 16th case. A uh, 64-year-old woman now in critical condition who ran a hostel in Jordan had not left Hong Kong recently. Uh, maybe the only way to humble uh, Carrie Lam is a community outbreak. Uh, Nick asks, can anyone inform which border crossings will be used for the importation of food? And uh, Linda P uh, also talks about Carrie Lam. She says, Carrie Lam, as leader of Hong Kong, goes from either complete invisible and silent for months on end or comes out with totally ridiculous responses that show how little she cares about our territory of Hong Kong and how she listens to the people of Hong Kong. The solution she has come up with about the border crossing rings with the same ineffective suspension of the extradition bill months before she finally realised too late the complete withdrawal of the bill was necessary. The way she worded it was, quote, not counting the airport was means we have closed all borders except two. Does she think we are stupid? Not counting the airport? Apparently the borders which is kept open account for more than 40% of the cross-border traffic from the mainland to Hong Kong. Some cases have already proven that people can spread the virus even though they're showing no symptoms at all. So no matter how many temperature checks or staff they add to those open border crossings, they will not stop those who are silent carriers. I think Carrie Lam should be made to go and volunteer at the front line in hospitals. Then let's see if she's still smug about her decision uh, being so uh, effective. Thank you very much indeed for uh, for uh, all those uh, emails. Oh, here comes another dozen. Okay, let me let me uh, 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 sift through those uh, in a moment. Um, Doctor Lee, um, uh, you know you're speaking from from Australia. C can I just you know what's the sort of general? Is there much discussion about this in Australia? What's the feeling there about about this uh, and about also Chinese in in, in Hong Kong uh, in, in in Australia? Concerns. I mean, no doubt you guys are very much aware the um, people being repatriated uh, back to Australia from uh, Wuhan and Hobei province now being quarantined in Christmas Island. I think they just landed in WA yesterday and have now been transferred. So you can see the method being taken and, 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 and 
being dealt with very seriously government level. That's why they are now uh, taking all these sort of, you know, all the extreme measures you guys have been, been discussing, you know. And the, the other key problem with this is, like, I, I can't retrain up. We know too little at the moment to make a lot of conjectures because the disease is still evolving. We don't have a lot of data. All we have, no, it is very contagious. It is spreading. There are a lot of people having it. And uh, the, the concern is inevitable about, you know, racial profiling and so on. It's very interesting. My college, the Australian College of Medicine, Medicine and Media, Media Students, see this all online, you know, it's all open source. And uh, there are some concerns about whether, you know, there's some, could be some racism going on towards the patients or healthcare professionals who are Chinese or Asian uh, appearance. So, so people are mindful of all these issues. But having said all that, I think it is important to take good, you know, precautionary measures and to be cautious at this stage because life's important, life's not cheap. And, uh, and I dare say I'm, I'm, I'm actually can understand what Steve was saying about the concerns of the residents and versus what Sarah's saying, you know, because actually, you know, funny that you guys talk about this now, but look at the, the wildfire in Australia. That actually shows you you can't predict, you can't control certain nature issues that easily. You know, things can just happen in such a way that you've got no control of. And uh, we can only use the retrospective scope at that point to see what we've done wrong, what we've done right. But certainly taking a, 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 you know, a very, very effective and more cautious measure, it should be the position that is, you know, be used by the Hong Kong government rather than the current, you know, again, the Hong Kong famous squeezing the toothpaste, you know, the, the seed being squeezed, you know, doing a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And uh, exactly like your, your listeners are very smart, you know, a lot of people highlighted, you know, the key issues very, very well. And uh, they're not easy, easily solvable. And there are a lot of, you know, very highly charged political, you know, issues, with, you know, in Hong Kong at the moment. But ultimately, you know, we're talking about human lives here. And, you know, the other issue that I, I want to race again, there are a lot of false information and say they are pure, they are, you know, uh, you know, ways that will just pay, uh, get put on artificial lungs and they will survive. Well, you know, we've also got Sarah here, you know, as a, you know, frontline health professional deal with very sick people in emergencies and critical care. Once people get put on a ventilator, often they don't live. So that's already a very false information. The other thing about cure, look at uh, the whole issue of tummy flu, you know, Tamsavir, it's not really a cure, you know, for for your, your, you know, your, your swine flu, blood flu, or influenza, and it's now been defunct, you know, in cochrane reviews and so on. So there's a lot of these issues that we're very mindful about. And the other thing is vaccine. It's a long, long way off. So I think, you know, we've got to be taking all the good precautions measures here first. Okay. Uh, Dr. Baldwin, uh, uh, just before we finish, am, am I right in thinking that the warm weather would kill this off? Is that right, that um, when things warm up, the, it will naturally disappear? Is that right? We actually don't know that. We don't know. That's okay. conjecture. Mm. All right. Okay, good. Well, uh, that's my favourite answer. I don't know. I think that's quite honest. If uh, it's, it's better to uh, say that, always better to say that than uh, to speculate or, or make a guess. So thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. And thank you very much indeed to uh, Dr. Uh, Tom Lee and to uh, Steve Chung, who's uh, Mayfood District Council. And we're talking there to Dr. Sarah Bowen. Uh, okay, some more emails um, to uh, finish off the uh, programme today. We'll be talking about this again tomorrow, uh, uh, once again. So uh, yeah, you, uh, you can also, of course, um, join us there. Then. 
Uh, Drake says, someone asked for figures. I think that was Mark Shenzhen has the highest number of confirmed cases within the Guangdong province, 245 cases as of yesterday. That's uh, what uh, Drake says. And uh, Philip says, after returning from Shenzhen last night and lucky to get through the Lowu border, what I can say is China is not taking this virus with a pinch of salt. Shenzhen was a ghost town. All bars, karaoke, saunas, larger restaurants have to remain closed. Uh, if you make a phone call before getting through, there is a government announcement regarding the use of face masks and so on. As for closing all the borders, if the government has been, if the virus has been genetically tampered with, the answer is yes. If not, have a hot toddy. That's uh, <laughs> Philip's uh, advice. I don't know if that's. Uh, uh, medical Medicaid. advice. Okay, uh, Drake says, I heard Ching saying that if the outbreak had started in Hong Kong, the mainland medical workers would not strike. One China, blah, blah, blah. Uh, total BS. Various provinces on the mainland had blocked passage to Wuhan weeks ago in an attempt <coughs> to limit human flow in this victorious battle against the virus led by the great Communist Party. What makes Hong Kong an independent state to not follow suit, leaving borders open to encourage traffic and hinder the great leadership of Xi. Um, that's uh, Drake's take. Uh, John says, hi, patients are asymptomatic, therefore the fever checking temperature will not be effective. Duh. Uh, Alex says, proposes quarantine in Meifu before it was Lychikok Hospital in 1937, uses for infect disease. So that's why stupid civil servants wanting use now. Only forget now, not in middles nowhere. You know my talkings. That comes from uh, Alex. Uh, and uh, on the quarantine, John says, hi, the Meifu residence will be 100% due to 300 metre separation distance. Uh, and he had something I can't read. Uh, on air, Martin says, the South China Morning Post just reported that 56 people have died of H1N1, HN, H1N1 flu-affected respiratory failure in the past three months, according to Taiwan Centre for, Center for Disease Control. According to the striking medical workers, that means we should stop all flights between Taiwan and ban all Taiwanese from entering Hong Kong. Um, and uh, Ian says, hi, Backchat. Whilst it may be a traditional system, it seems those weird viruses cross the natural animal to human barrier via local wet markets. You don't seem to see these viruses originate in places that have monitored, chilled or frozen meat butcheries where hygiene is perhaps stricter. Time for wet markets to go in Hong Kong and China. Eliminate this potential crossover. Can corrupt animal husbandry practices be prevented this way, uh, asks Ian. Thank you very much, one and all, for the uh, emails. Andrew, many thanks to you as well. Oh, it was a pleasure. And that's uh, the programme for today. Back at 8.30 tomorrow, leaving you now with the weather. Cloudy with a few rain patches. Temperatures up to 18 degrees. The outlook windy with light rain in the next couple of days. 16 degrees at the moment and the relative humidity, 89%. The government's measles vaccination mop-up programme provides free vaccination to adults born between 1967 and 2002 who are non-immune to measles. That means not having laboratory-confirmed infection nor two doses of the vaccine at 12 months of age or above. People who meet the criteria and hold a valid ID document can receive free vaccination. For details, please visit chp.gov.hk. 1034, the news now with Todd Harding. The organisers of yesterday's strike by public health workers say as many as 9,000 staff are set to join a second day of industrial action today. The Hospital Authority Employees Alliance is trying to press the government for a complete border shutdown to prevent the spread of the Wuhan virus. 
The number of confirmed deaths from the outbreak has hit 425 after authorities in Hubei province reported 64 new fatalities this morning. Nearly 20,000 people have been infected. The new figures come after the Politburo Standing Committee admitted that the epidemic has exposed the government's shortcomings and deficiencies. And a three-year trial in South Africa of one of the most promising experimental HIV vaccines has been abandoned after more